Well, good morning. If you saw on there that Serve Centralia has a date change, make note of that because this next Serve Centralia, we are partnering with the Downtown Association for Centralia, and they're doing an annual spring clean on Sunday. And so um, we have volunteered to take a collection of blocks of the city to clean up. And so uh, that particular Sunday, next week, May 7th at noon, um, we will be meeting downtown Centralia. And so you will want to make sure that you sign up and that you are available for that because there is absolutely nothing better than picking up garbage. And um, it's true. It's very helpful. And uh, whatever else they assign us to, I think there will be weeding and other types of cleaning. And so um, if you can come to that, please do. We're partnering with them, and it will be a uh, great a great day. And I think it will be a valuable way for our church to show up and partner with the city and say, we don't need to just be a part of the things that are us. We're also a part of the things that are you and everyone in this entire community. And we don't have to um, just do our own thing all the time. We get to be a part of what's happening inside of the community. And so I think this is a good way for our church to say, hey, we care about our community as a whole. And we are going to be a part of making sure that Centralia um, and the surrounding areas are well taken care of. uh, Because we believe that's important. So... That date change is important. Also, Mother's Day is coming up, and so um, that day will be fun, and um, we will host an event for that, and it will be awesome, and um, there are gifts for all the ladies, because even if you're not a mom to someone in our own story here, you are probably a mom figure to people in our story here, and so whether you have your own kids in this story or not, um, we are grateful for you and the role that you play. So that will be a special day. Mark your calendars. Don't forget, men, if you um, show up and you forgot um, that it was Mother's Day, there will be a stash of Mother's Day cards hidden in the bathroom. Um, And so, women, if you get a card on Mother's Day at church, um, it may or may not have been encouraged um, by people who have your backs. We got you. So um, we are here for all of you. So um, keep your eyes peeled. You may have to go on a scavenger hunt to find those cards, but it will be important. So we'll do it. All right. Um, we have this morning a, um, a s- sad for us, um, but happy for Pastor Dan and his family moment. So I want to invite Pastor Dan up um, and share with you. Some of you know that Pastor Dan has a, a Pentecostal side. How many of you have seen the, the Pastor Dan Pentecostal side? Um, we know that about Dan. We love it about Dan. But Dan also has a heart for churches um, that are potentially in need of um, someone to help them not close. And so Pastor Dan is revisiting his Pentecostal side and his heart for uh, his heart for helping make sure that churches don't close, and unfortunately for us, and sadly for us, Pastor Dan is actually transitioning to work with the Open Bible Denomination. 
Um, and this is something that God has been calling him to and um, is a, a good thing, uh, but also a little bit of a sad thing. Um, and so we wanted to take a moment to pray over Dan. We might invite him up next week to pray for him again, um, but we're not sure yet. Um, <laughs> we'll just see. Um, but we want to pray over Dan this morning. And then next Sunday, May 7th, will be Pastor Dan's last Sunday here. And so if you wanted to bring something to throw or gift or give, like however you're feeling, um, you can represent that. Um, <laughs> You can represent that if you would like. And just know next Sunday is Pastor Dan's last Sunday. And um, would you do me a favor and stretch out your hand in the direction of Pastor Dan? And we're going to pray a blessing over him and his new venture as he um, moves uh, towards something new. So let's do that. Jesus, we are so grateful for the timing and the space and with which you have allowed us to have Pastor Dan a part of our story. And Father, I thank you for the blessing of relationship, the blessing of ministry that Pastor Dan has been a part of here. And Father, I know that we will miss him, uh, that his uh, story here has been a blessing. Uh, but God, we know that you have things in the future for Dan too. Um, and while we don't know what all of those things look like, we know that when you call, we move. And so for Pastor Dan, Father, I thank you for his obedience to your call and his willingness to move as you have called him. And so, Father, I pray that you uh, would place your hand of hope, your hand of um, blessing as he moves forward into a new venture, that, God, you would go before him, that you would protect him, that you would guide his steps and his, his voice and the gifts that you have given him as he moves to bless another location uh, with those things. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you give it up for Pastor Dan? All right. Well, we are in a series called the Beatitudes. How many of you guys grew up calling it the Beatitudes? Anybody? No, just me? Okay. All right. There was also a hymn growing up that said, High King of Heaven. Does anybody know what hymn says, High King of Heaven, in it? Um, there's a hymn. Yeah, it says, High King of Heaven. And I grew up thinking it was hiking to heaven. Um, and so I thought that hiking was really spiritual because all hiking represented going to heaven, potentially. So um, it may just be me, but between hiking to heaven and the Beatitudes, you guys are in great hands. We got this. Thank you for Jesus, right? All right. Well, we are in the middle of a series on the Beatitudes. And these are a collection of statements that were made on the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular sermon was sort of geared and directed at a time when the Pharisees were running things. And the Pharisees thought that they were everything. They were in charge. They were the spiritual rulers. They made sure that people did or didn't do exactly what they thought and their interpretation of God wanted them to do. And so they believed, as a result, that the keys to the kingdom of God were through power, wealth, and status. And they really thought 
that God provided a way for them to lead through their power, their wealth, and their status. So Jesus is here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preaching a new sermon. He's preaching a new message. And in this message, there are new keys to the kingdom. And he wants to make sure that no one, absolutely no one, rulers, kings, queens, all of the above, that absolutely no one understands that there's any way to the kingdom that could be aided by power, wealth, and status. And that the kingdom is not about that. And so we're going to jump into the Beatitudes. And every week we read through the whole thing and then it's a surprise which one we do. And so this morning will be no different. We're going to read through the whole Beatitudes starting in Matthew 5. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. The Beatitudes, here he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we're going to focus in on verse 7. And we're using Kenneth Bailey's Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, because again, we want to help shape our understanding of all of the scripture that we read through cultural lenses. And understand that the Bible is written for us, but it was not always written to us. And so this context helps us understand some of the meaning. And so today we're focusing in on blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now mercy has two primary meanings, and so today we'll feel a little bit like two different sermons. And um, that will be okay because normally we only do one. Um, So today we get to have two uh, different conversations. And one meaning of mercy is the act of feeling or acting with compassion. There are many, many places in Scripture and many stories where Jesus referenced compassion, whether in telling parables of compassion or showing compassion. We spent an entire uh, 16 weeks going through stories of Jesus showing compassion. And the story, like the story of the prodigal son, is a story of a uh, moment of deep compassion. And that is one form of mercy. And several times throughout the Gospels, we see this represented. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 18, 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt to let him go. That translation there is the same as compassion or mercy. And then there's compassion displayed in action in other ways. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Indignant here translates to filled with compassion. Luke 7, 13 says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. 
Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity or compassion on him. And throughout most of these stories, there's either an action or a feeling. And sometimes the feeling itself isn't even mentioned, it's just the action. And we know by the action itself that it is a result of compassion and the action itself is compassionate. And if we're going to be like Jesus, which is the goal of following him, most of us are here this morning because we either have a peaked interest in who is Jesus or we have a desire to become more like Jesus. And so when we want to live our life to become more like Jesus, we pay attention to the things that Jesus did and said. And a primary thread through all of Scripture is compassion. A primary thread through all of Scripture is that compassion that we used in the word mercy here. And so mercy is translated first as compassion with feeling and action. And there's a great story in Luke that just kind of details out how this goes. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That same word mercy is used here in this beatitude. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. This is a story of compassion. And that word mercy in the context of blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus shows compassion in the form of healing and action. And it's important to note that he does it when the rest of the people around him thought it would be too inconvenient. And I don't know about you, but there have been moments where Jesus would respond with compassion to someone in my own story, and I would respond like the disciples. There have been many moments throughout my life where Jesus has reminded me that I may be sitting in the shoes of the disciples where I'm saying, ah, let's keep going. We don't have time for this. We've got things to do and places to go. And this is just not in our cards for today. And yet Jesus responds with compassion and mercy, regardless of the inconvenience that the others around him may have thought they would experience. So the first point of embodying mercy in the context of this beatitude and becoming more like Jesus is to respond to human need with compassion and action. And a lot of times in the church, we get really good at asking the question, well, what if what happens with the compassion and action isn't good? People use this argument a lot in the context of giving uh, unhoused people money. Well, what if they use it? For something bad. This is a common thought process where we, we talk about compassion and action, but then we try to police the way people use the compassion and action. And all we are responsible for as a church 
all that Cook's Hill is responsible for, all that every individual inside of this church right now in any of these seats or watching online is responsible for is to do what Jesus has asked you to do and let him take care of the rest. And so as a church, we respond to human need with compassion and action. And that may mean that Jesus may ask us to do things that are inconvenient. And our response will still be to respond with compassion. But there's more to mercy than just compassionate feeling and action. The second means, or the second sermon here this morning, is about mercy, also referenced in this particular beatitude, in offering and receiving forgiveness. So when this says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, there's a context of compassion, and there's a context of forgiveness. And one of those, depending on our personalities, may be easier for us than the other. To be merciful and to be shown mercy in relation to forgiveness both personally and what we offer to someone else is a part of this and is a tough concept. And unfortunately in the church we've had really uh, terrible conversations a lot of times about forgiveness. And voices sort of nationwide have played into a conversation that may or may not be helpful around forgiveness. And a lot of times we've harped on forgiveness as a way to, to silence victims or a way to, to get people to do something that we want them to do or to move in a direction that makes us less uncomfortable. And we tend to think the sooner we get to forgiveness, the easier it'll be on everybody. Or we hyper fixated on this way to get right with God really fast. Or this idea that the faster you get to forgiveness, the more likely the person in front of you is to receive forgiveness and apologize, and that's what we want in the end, and so we try to rush that experience so that we can accomplish that end goal. But this parable has something biblical in the language. I mean, all of the Bible has something biblical in the language. Um, I realize that's probably a reality everywhere. But in this particular space, there are a, I did not have enough coffee this morning, guys. <laughs> and you're just going to have to be okay with that. Um, there is a space in this beatitude where the language is in the form of what's called a divine passive. Anybody heard of a divine passive before? So this is really important because if you look up in a study Bible or um, whatever, uh, the context of divine passive, you can find the scriptures that are, by default, divine passive. And what this means is that it is not talking when it says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It does not necessarily mean forgiveness in the context of people. Divine passive is a type of language uh, structure that lends to God. And so when something is written in the original language in a divine passive form, it means that it is in reference to God, not people. 
And some of what's so um, intense about understanding the Bible is that, like, we would never know that because we don't read it in the original language. And so we miss things like that all the time. And there's not a lot of context where unless we've heard it talked about before or we've dove into the study that we would even know that there is a divine passive type of language structure. And that is what this is. And so what it's not guaranteeing is the forgiveness in the context of human-to-human interaction. There's no guarantee in this scripture that any person-to-person situation will garner forgiveness. There's no guarantee in this space. But rather, that when we choose to forgive, when we are merciful in the context of forgiveness, that we then receive the forgiveness that we need from God. And so the second point of embodying mercy in becoming more like Jesus from this particular beatitude is to respond to hurts with forgiveness. But again, forgiveness is no easy concept. For all of us, forgiveness has a sacrificial component. A component of being willing to take our own hurts off of a scale. Because if we're honest, almost all of us put our hurts on a scale. And we move them on or off the scale on a basis of how much hurt the other person has experienced. And we feel like if we've been hurt this much, and this is our scale, and they've been hurt this much, then it balances it out. And we feel like on some level that we need to make sure that our hurts balance on a scale. And so on one side is the hurts we've endured, and on the other side might be the hurts we're attempting to inflict on someone else. And rarely do we do this consciously. Rarely do we sit there and make a list of things we could do to make someone else's life miserable. Some of us do. Sometimes that happens. But often we do this unconsciously, subconsciously. We do it in more subtle ways. Maybe we hang on to the hurt extra long thinking that they know about it and that maybe that will help them feel bad longer, which will balance out their scale a little bit more to ours. We assume that maybe if we stop hanging on to it, that they'll win the hurt. And if we stop feeling the resentment and pain, then who's to gain? Maybe they gain too, and we don't want them to gain. And so maybe we hang on to it. But what we want to do is receive the gift of not hanging on to resentment and experiencing instead freedom and peace. But forgiveness has so many misconceptions. And some of us have used forgiveness as a clause for allowing abusive behavior to continue. So I want to break down a few things this morning of what forgiveness is not. Because I think that this is also incredibly important in the church today. Forgiveness is not approving of someone else's behavior. Forgiveness is not pretending that what happened never happened. 
Forgiveness is not overlooking or allowing abuse. Forgiveness is not in place of pressing charges. Forgiveness is not re-entering a relationship with the wounding party all of the time. Forgiveness is about putting away the scale. Where you try to weigh your hurts, we try to weigh our hurts against the hurts that we can inflict in an attempt to balance the scale. And there's a place in our lives for where we can learn to live without the scale on a daily basis. The little things, the little hurts, the things that tend to stack up. When someone says something that comes across rude or maybe someone sends a text message or there's a a conversation that you hear about that wasn't necessarily to you and there's there's a little bit of a moment there to put the hurt on the scale and then try to balance the hurt. And learning to live without putting the little hurts on the scale for a little while might be the best first step. Because the little hurts all throughout the day tend to add up. And then if you throw something big on the scale, it's already weighed way down. And so part of the first step may be just acknowledging that when we're hurt, we might be putting it on a scale. And then we may be trying to inflict the same kind of hurt that we've had on someone else. Or make sure that it at least balances out. Because the more we forgive the little things, the easier it will become to forgive the big things. Because we begin to sort of retrain our brains to not put things on the scale in the first place. And as we do that with little things we can begin to use that same training that we have in our brain that we've kind of rewired to potentially help us not put the big things on the scale. But sometimes there are big things on the scale, really big things. And the hurts we've experienced and encountered are are really painful and super intense. And they've been on the scale for a really long time. And they've impacted how we think. They've impacted how we love. They've impacted who we engage with. They've impacted how we have relationships. And they've impacted how we function for potentially decades. And there's a greater process there to unpack. And while we cannot unpack everything that we could possibly do about the hurts and begin to see forgiveness happen. I did promise at one point that we would try to be practical with this series, and I realized that I have not followed through on that point because I have not had enough coffee every Sunday. Um, And so on some level, I'm going to try to follow through with some of that this morning. And this will not cover every single basis, and it is not a plug-and-play for every situation. But there's some things that we can do to potentially get started with some of the hurts that we experience to begin to unpack forgiveness. And we could spend weeks on forgiveness. But we're going to run through a few things. One, we begin by unpacking the resentment. And not in a really intense sit down for hours and try to figure out where every piece of resentment that you possibly carry came from kind of a way. 
because otherwise you will all be back here really sad next week and it will not be as potentially helpful. But in a very get curious with Jesus kind of a way. You guys ever heard that uh, language of getting curious with Jesus? So here's what we want to do. We want to unpack the resentment by getting curious about how often it shows up. By getting curious about where it shows up. By getting curious about when and how and who it impacts. And when they come up, those moments of resentment, which I think we all kind of know what resentment feels like or bitterness feels like. We've been there. We understand that. When it comes up, we bring that conversation to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm curious. This is here in this moment. Help me understand this piece. The second thing is then we can make a conscious decision. So much of the hurt we're trying to balance on the scale and make sure that it balances out with someone else's hurt. We aren't actively aware of it. It's just how we live now. And it's just how we function. And we often call them triggers because they're just a part of sort of who we are at this point. And so after we've gotten curious and we've begun to unpack the why and the how and the who and the when and the where, we can start by making a decision to offer that hurt to Jesus and offer the forgiveness that we then see and receive from Jesus. The third thing we can do is prepare for the long road. If there's been a hurt on your scale, and it's a lifelong hurt on your scale, that means that you will have to get curious, and you will have to make a decision, and you will have to be okay with the fact that it may take a long time over and over and over and over, because that hurt may show up for years to come. And more often than not, we can't unpack it one time and then choose to forgive one time and then never see it again. Because we would love that, and it is possible because we believe in a God of miracles, but it is not the most common route that we see. And so prepare for the long road because we're going to repeat steps one and two probably every day with a different resentment. We're going to get curious with Jesus, and we're going to make a decision to take it off the scale and get a little bit lighter. And then the next day, we're probably going to have to do the same thing again. And it will get lighter as time goes on, but we probably won't have to do steps one and two just once. We'll probably have to do steps one and two many times. So the first point of embodying mercy in the context of this beatitude in becoming more like Jesus is to respond to human need with compassion and action. To be obedient to Jesus when he has asked you to do something compassionate. To be compassionate, to live compassionate. And the second one is to respond to hurts with forgiveness. So this week as we close, as you think about the definition of mercy, 
whether in the context of compassionate action or in the context of forgiveness, as you begin to get curious about the hurts, whether this morning you need to respond practically because you know that God has laid a need on your heart and you are supposed to fill it, or whether it's this morning that you need to get curious about something that's on your scale. I pray that this morning we do that and that we take some time to engage in one of those thought processes and behaviors and we give all of that to Jesus. Let's pray.